Hi everyone and welcome to episode 2 of Cloud Playhouse Audio. Divya and I, Malavika, are your hosts for today. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. To recognize this very important and relevant topic, on this episode we talk to you about our upcoming production No Makeup, written by Sukanya Chakravarty and directed by Ranjita Chakravarty, which will be staged on October 10th and 11th. Today we're joined by the playwright Sukanya and two domestic violence counselors Shailaja Dikshit and Deepthi Warrior. Hello ladies, thank you very much for joining us today. Please tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do. Hi everyone, thank you for having me. My name is Sukanya Chakrabarty. I identify as an artist scholar and I currently work as an assistant professor at the School of Theater and Dance at San Francisco State University. Uh, my areas of focus are South Asian theater and performance studies, and I usually practice experimental device performances and community-based performances. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Sharaja Dikshit. Um, I'm really excited to be here today. I am a domestic violence counselor with SAVE, which is Safe Alternatives to Violent Environments. It is a nonprofit agency based in Fremont that provides supportive services to survivors of domestic violence. And I'm a community engagement specialist with SAVE. Hi, everyone. This is Deepthi Warrior. I am also a domestic violence counselor with Safe Alternatives to Violent Environments, or SAVE, in Fremont. I work in their Housing First program as a case manager, helping survivors of domestic violence um, with their housing needs. Uh, I'm so excited to be here and uh, talk about this very important topic. It's such a pleasure to have you here with us. Um, so how did the idea of this play come about? What made you write it without giving too much away, of course? So I'd like to chime in first. This is Deepthi. Uh, so I, as a domestic violence uh, counselor and working with a domestic violence agency, I had the thought that we should do a play. I approached um, Ranjita Chakraborty, the director of this play, as well as uh, um, Sukanya a few months back uh, on this about this project. And uh, Sukanya very graciously agreed to uh, write a play on this uh, very important topic, and I will let her take, take it away. Yeah, thank you so much, Deepthi. Uh, so before I actually talk about uh, the play itself, I do want to mention how collaborative the entire process was. So even technically, even though I was the writer, like I actually wrote the script, I think it was a very collaborative effort, effort in terms of thinking about it, conceptualizing it. And I remember um, Deepthi spoke to me early this year around February. And uh, we had our first meeting in March when we still didn't actually know, uh, you know, the scope of COVID or, you know, we would be in lockdown for so many months. So we were actually thinking of in terms of a street play. Um, we did workshop a couple of ideas. So we, as in um, Deepti, Shailaja, Ranjita and I got on a Zoom call and we had a brainstorming session. And I think that was my starting point uh, in terms of thinking about this, entire, uh, this idea. And, uh, you know, be, being a first generation immigrant in this country, I had been meditating on ideas of home 
anyway. But with COVID and, you know, with the discussions on domestic violence, uh, the meaning of home really changed for me even further, like it got even more complex. And that kind of necessitated uh, a kind of recalibration of how we think of home, what we associate it with. Uh, and, you know, apart from physical illnesses, of course, uh, associated with COVID, we read everywhere the statistics of mental illnesses, etc. And I started thinking about the invisible, you know, the invisible illnesses, the invisible tortures, the invisible oppressions. And uh, that was kind of, again, uh, leading to the way we were thinking about the script. And um, I really wanted to combine this kind of personal, the political, the societal, the global, and, uh, you know, and um, at the very beginning, like when we had our first meeting, we all agreed that we didn't want it to be a preachy uh, play, or we didn't want it to come with a list of solutions or, you know, we, what we wanted was more of an awareness and uh, our approach uh, we wanted our approach to be as nuanced as possible. So, uh, and we also wanted to see uh, domestic violence not in isolation, but as part of a larger systemic uh, problem and, you know, kind of uh, intersectionality and, you know, of um, other systems of patriarchy, gender norms, and uh, how we normalize that and how that can lead to certain kinds of oppression and domestic violence. So, and those were kind of our uh, initial impetus to think about the play. And then, of course, uh, once uh, I think around May or June, when we realized that a street theater is not possible, uh, Deepthi and I kind of um, spoke again and we realized that uh, the most practical thing would be to have a Zoom play. And, um, and of course, I started thinking about the play in terms of in the context of COVID. And that really kind of uh, narrowed it down even further because that also kind of meant uh, how we envision home, like home as a place of shelter or home as a place of threat or, you know, this kind of double-edged uh, idea of what home means. No, that's lovely. I remember, uh, I believe, a few weeks ago when, uh, you know, we talked about it uh, at Cloud Playhouse, what was meant to be a 60-minute meeting, I think, turned into about three and a half hours where we just dived into the motives behind each character. And I think we soon realized that, uh, you know, it uh, it made so much sense for us to take it and bring it to the audiences. So I think uh, this is a very exciting opportunity for us as well. Thank you, Dipti and Sukanya. That was very insightful. Now, how would you describe domestic violence and the types of abuse? This is Deepti. Domestic violence in the context of the play is intimate partner violence. That is um, power and control exerted over one partner over another in an intimate relationship. Uh, it's also called domestic abuse or relationship abuse. And uh, domestic violence can occur in heterosexual and same-sex relationships. And Although physical violence is often the most widely talked about and known of um, domestic violence situations, uh, emotional uh, abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse, so social abuse where the partners get away from um, their social circle, uh, digital abuse, very common these days, especially through your phones, through your um, social media, and spiritual abuse where they are not allowed 
to where a partner is not allowed to engage in um, whatever brings them spiritual solace. So these are all different forms of abuse, which may be which may not be quite obvious in the communities, but fairly covert and hidden behind um, walls. Um, and so these are the, the various forms of abuse that you can um, you see in bet between intimate partners. And are there any red flags that can signal issues in a relationship? Hi, this is Shaila. I'm I'm actually going to just. Uh, build off of what Deepti was saying about how often the abuse is not very apparent. So it is great that you are actually shining a light on this aspect of are there red flags that one could uh, possibly look at in, in the community around us to say to that signal to us that something may not be very healthy. Um, and some of the behaviors that one could be looking at could be if someone you know shows up with unexplained bruises, if someone has unexplained absences. Um, if somebody is uh, constantly checking their phones or cutting out of their, um, you know, um, a social event, if they look like they are, their time is always at the beck and call of somebody else, if they isolate themselves, so their behavior starts changing, they withdraw from their family, they withdraw from their friends, they withdraw from their colleagues, um, the person may lose weight or gain weight, uh, may have health problems, from the outside, it's many times very easy to uh, dismiss a person like that from your social circle, thinking they're flaky, they're unreliable, you know, they never show up for social events. I think perhaps uh, if, you know, if some, whoever listens to this conversation, if we can remember to hold compassion, um, and it's not necessary that somebody going through, uh, somebody exhibiting these uh, red flags necessarily is going through domestic violence, but at least hold compassion that something may not be what meets the eye all the time. So yes, there are red flags. Um, and many times often, you know, you hear friends or somebody look back and say, yes, that person completely withdrew and I never even reached out and asked, how are you doing? So just to signal that um, I'm a safe person, non-judgmental space, if you need uh, a friend, just show up as a friend. One does not have to assume that there is domestic violence every time. Showing up as a friend is a very healthy thing to do for anyone anyway, but that just might help uh, if you've noticed some red flags to be there, uh, you never know, it might make a difference. Now, how prevalent is domestic violence in our community? Uh, why do you think it's so hard to address domestic violence in our communities? Mm -hmm. this, these are statistics from the National Domestic Violence um, Hotline um, mm -hmm. website. So one in four women and one in seven men aged 18 and older in the United States have been uh, victims of severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. And um, more than one in three women and more than one in four men in the United States have experienced rape, physical violence, and are stalking by an intimate partner in their lifetime. And um, almost uh, 12 million people are over experience intimate partner violence each year in this country. So these are pretty mm -hmm. stark um, uh, numbers and as to how prevalent this problem is. And the other thing is that domestic violence does not really uh, discriminate between races, ethnicities, sexual orientation, education, your culture, um, how rich or poor you are, you know, how financially secure you are. So um, it, it does affect all strata of society and um, pretty much all, all swaths of society and people from all walks of life. 
Mm-hmm. Very true. And I think you you had asked about um, you know, why it's so hard to address, and that's another, I think, a very large question which can be answered in many ways in the context of the play and the conversation here today. Um, I would say it is important to remember that while domestic violence is about the control and relationship between two partners, when somebody, when a survivor tries to leave, they are not only leaving that relationship, which in itself uh, represents a pretty big mental, emotional, financial, spiritual uh, task for them, um, but it's also that they are now dealing with system, you know, different systems. So it's a whole systemic uh, issue that now they are faced with. So recognizing that you're in an unhealthy relationship and trying to figure out what your solution is, which may not always be leaving, but trying to figure out what your solution is almost literally the first step, the amount of rebuilding that happens after that. Now you're going to deal with systems outside, which are not very pleasant. You may be re-victimized as you go from door to door, trying to get your social services, trying to get your, you know, um, your finances in place, trying to understand how your child custody is going to go. And then there are the larger issues that you're always dealing with, such as your immigration. So all the things that we hear about intersectionally across the different movements of race, your identity, your finances, your, you know, your emotional and medical and uh, your health, all of those tie in. So now you and the community which is oftentimes not very kind or compassionate or supportive or understanding of what you've just gone through. Survivors are often never believed. Um, So it is a whole system that a survivor has to overcome to rebuild their lives, should they choose to do that. I wanna again emphasize there's no um, set answer to how do you address domestic violence, but these factors make it very difficult. And the more we recognize that as survivors, it's not just about that relationship, but it's about all the systems that somebody has to navigate, the more space we can hold. And what impact has the pandemic had on domestic violence? Uh, What has your experience been over the last few months? Um, This is Deepti, and this is a rather large question and an important one at that. Um, So we've had a shelter in place now for about, I forget the number of months, but for several months. And um, for for survivors of abuse, uh, home is not really a shelter. It's not a place of safety because they are in there with their abuser. So this isolation and inability to just walk out of the house to, for, for us, something as simple as picking up your child from school or picking up something from the grocery store, which is often the reprieve for many survivors, um, is non-existent. Also, a lot of abusers are now working from home, uh, which again, exacerbates the situation and often escalates the situation because the two people are constantly at home with each other. The second thing is that there's a great reliance on digital platforms to communicate. Several agencies, domestic violence agencies themselves are um, open at, you know, uh, for fewer hours in the day um, to to prevent uh, people from, you know, uh, coming in contact with each other and to uh, also honor the social distancing protocols. And so survivors are forced to make calls uh, on the phone to to agencies for help. And often they don't have access to their phones. uh, If the survivor is at home closeted in with the abuser, they don't have access to their phones because they're often closely monitored. 
the other aspect of this is that when you are in a domestic um, uh, in a in a uh, in a situation where you're in, um, you're being abused at home, um, that people do make calls to the police to to uh, you know and abusers are imprisoned, but then because of COVID, uh, many many abusers are released early from prison, and this puts the uh, survivor at risk um, again, you know, and at a disadvantage. Um, the other aspect is that the control and abuse that survivors go through often leave them at um, a health risk. They are often immunocompromised. And depending on the situation, they may, you know, be forced to work, so, but are afraid for their health, and, but then forced by the abuser to go into work. And that could, be, that could put them at risk. So they help, there are health risks on that front. Uh, on the flip side, many uh, survivors who, you know, eventually leave the relationship uh, and are looking for jobs are unable to find jobs. So there is a that there is that aspect of unemployment, and it has been really difficult for many of our survivors to actually get uh, unemployment, um, and so that has been another huge um, problem for many survivors, that their income is almost down to zero, and. Um, the other aspect, and this is something that I see constantly in my work, being a person who uh, helps with housing assistance, um, there are huge issues with um, survivors getting housing, even in the normal course of things. There, it, it, this is a huge problem. But then now there is an added risk of shelters not being not taking in new people. So uh, survivors often don't have a place to go, and uh, agencies are not able to help them with through their regular um, usual. Um, through the usual routes like um, sh their shelters and also getting a getting a place to live which is uh, less expensive in the bay area is so exp is so is so difficult and um, often shared if they are trying to share you know work a, work out a shared um, housing um, uh, situation they are often unable to uh, get that going because of the pandemic because people are not taking in new renters so this has several layers and um, we hear time and time again about how survivors simply are not helped by the system that the system simply does not support the need their needs and it has been truly uh, dif difficult the, the, the pandemic has added another layer of difficulty in uh, navigating all these systems uh, once they leave the abuser, as well as while they are in still uh, with their abuser at home. We had earlier talked about red flags, you know, that tell us about a conflict and why domestic violence is so hard to address in our communities. Could you tell us how hard it is to recognize domestic violence? Hi, so this is Shaila again. Um, Domestic violence doesn't just happen overnight. So the, the gener it's a generational, it's often a generational thing. It's a cycle of violence. It is a learned behavior on the abuser's part. We are not talking about just two individuals who suddenly um, one became susceptible to the abuse and the other became abusive. They, they're all, they're, everybody, all of us are products of a system. So if we look at all the surrounding issues we are constantly talking about when we're talking about empowerment and a community that is violence-free, such as gender norms, stereotyping, patriarchy, um, you know, normalization of uh, body shaming behaviors. Um, when we talk about, uh, you know, completely normalizing uh, the, 
the lack of boundaries that uh, especially women will experience in a collective culture like ours it's not an individualistic culture all these things diminish our sense of self and then we talk about systemic things such as um such as uh, the law uh, supposing in a country if marital rape is not recognized then how is the woman even going to realize that if she had she was forced to have intercourse that was not something that was um, really her partner's right or if we talk about what family values are given if you're constantly told that you know your one role is to be obedient to build relationships you are the honor of you know this whole culture of honor that you are the honor of the family so you're carrying so much weight it silences you so even if you recognize now the the dysfunctional behavior you are silenced by all the other um expectations from you and the messages given to you where you are the honor you are the nurturer you are the mother you will sacrifice you will be noble you will be kind um not many messages are given to us about standing up for ourselves um and then there's the culture of shame a huge factor for us where um everything is about log kya kahenge that's such a phrase you know log kya kahenge and and that just seals it so whatever you may have been able to avoid on an individual level or a family familial level when it comes to community and a community that wants to live often live in silence i'm not going to portray even our community with the with the same brush there are many many people who are strong activists and speaking out and many women who have and men who have done really good work um but yes if you if there's a community that wants to be silent or um, wants to be in denial does not want to acknowledge and there's a lot of shame attached to it and your status as an immigrant where you want to be you know a model minority um then that's another layer sealing the recognition and then the address uh, addressing of the unhealthy relationship so i know it's through a lot of factors in it but the truth is it starts from the individual messaging the familial the neighborhood the community you know and then your larger uh, system so it's it's a very big bundle to untangle and it often really disorients um uh somebody who going through all these uh unhealthy behaviors to recognize that they have rights and they don't need to be violated and that their boundaries can be kept safe and they have a right to be safe and heard and seen and thrive in life so so if you or anybody else is experiencing uh, domestic violence what are some of the resources that are available in the community uh i can uh, take that this is deepthi um so the national domestic uh, violence hotline is a 24 hour crisis line where you can call and uh, you basically will get triaged to uh, domestic violence agencies in your state um so anybody from all over the us can access this hotline and the number is 1-800-799-7233 i would also like to give out saves 24 hour crisis line which is 510-794 6055 we have several uh, agencies in the bay area culturally responsive agencies such as maitri and narika who work with the south asian population the mm-hmm. family justice centers in various counties uh, next door solutions in the south bay cora in the peninsula um we also have um legal um help from organizations like bay area legal aid uh and the international institute of the bay area so the bay area legal aid typically w- 
helps with um, a whole host of things like um, divorce, um, child custody, um, housing rights, um, tenant rights, those kinds of things. And IBA or International Institute of uh, the Bay Area helps with immigration issues, which is one, one of the most common things that many um, South Asian survivors uh, are tangled in. And Shaila, would you like to chime in? Yeah, I was just thinking that, you know, I, I really appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, Deepthi, you've highlighted how many formal resources there are. And the only thing probably I would like to highlight is that, um, one, if you're taking a formal resource, it's always confidential. Um, it is um, it is free. Like, uh, most of the times with, through nonprofits, is, it is free, but very, very important for people to know that it is confidential. Your information is not shared. If somebody calls asking, hey, did this person come to you for help? Typically, the answer is, uh, we can neither deny nor confirm the service has been given. So you, the, your safety is recognized by all the uh, nonprofit agencies and uh, resources that uh, Deepthi just mentioned. But to also remember that um, not everybody is able to immediately access a formal resource. So if that is happening and you or someone you know is experiencing an unhealthy relationship, to remember that the best advocate for yourself first and foremost is you. And as a friend, if you know someone's going through it, you can be a safe space. So the power of the individual um, should not be forgotten. So you can always be a safe space for someone, hold space, check in on them. You know, when they feel ready, find the resource for them, accompany them, let them know they're not alone. That makes a big difference. And if you are alone, uh, feeling alone right now, please know you're not alone. Agencies are always there. Whenever it is safe for you to reach out, please do. Until then, you are your best advocate. Keep yourself safe. You're important. You're heard. You're loved. And, you know, we are here. It's at SAVE, we are all here for you. So just wanted to say that, that uh, it's a combination, you know, organizations and individuals, all of us have to come together. Yes, and I would like to actually add one thing, which is that all of these agencies also don't expect that you're going to be leaving your abuser. I mean, survivorship yes. is sometimes within the relationship, whatever the mm -hmm. reason the person chooses to stay. Um, it is often finding that point of safety and survival within the relationship and and all of our, all of our us agencies understand that and support it. So Shailaja and Deepthi, thank you so much for providing those resources. Now, if I may ask, um, why do you think it's important for the community to come and watch this play, No Makeup? I think, uh, first of all, the, what the play does is really makes us aware of a lot of situations that we normalize in everyday life. So having that as part of a script and being, uh, you know, playing that out on the screen in Zoom as part of a plot really focuses our attention to the nitty gritties of everyday life that we just let go. We just, um, you know, we don't pay much attention to and uh, makes us actually a little more aware of where these systems of oppression are, how, how integrated they are in our everyday lives. And I think that was the idea um, all along. And I feel like... Uh, just for us as a community to be more aware, to be more responsible for each other, for ourselves. And, um, you know, I think that's why I would say everyone should come and watch the play. Hi, this is Shaila. Um, I, I love the question because the truth is we could be looking up statistics anywhere or resources anywhere. Why would somebody come and watch a play on that very issue? And 
I feel very grateful to Sukanya um, and to Cloud Playhouse and to our director Ranjita for creating this this experience where I think an issue that we read about and hear about sometimes in sensational ways on in headlines or sometimes as statistics is is humanized. It is an experience. It is a way for us to under truly perhaps um, delve into our vulnerability and understand that people who are going through it are human. And our response as a compassionate, humane society can make an impact and that it's everywhere. So um, to be able to approach this issue without the usual dramatization in terms of, you know, a sensational headline or a statistic, I think that's a wonderful opportunity and it will allow, and the way the script's been written, it allows so much space for conversation, for reflection. Um, as Sukanya had mentioned earlier in this conversation, there are no hard solutions given because in life, sometimes there are no hard solutions. So I think as a domestic violence counselor and as a community member, as a mom, as a friend, as a sister, I think just getting my family, friends, people to come and watch the play is important for us to connect with it as humans. Uh, this is Deepti. I just wanted to uh, sort of um, chime in where um, Shaila left off in the sense that um, as she said, we could look up these statistics anywhere, but they would probably not be as impactful as watching uh, a play about this particular topic where you see people who are like you and me, uh, but going through these situations, going through life and, and it's mundane, mundane uh, challenges, but then there is an undercurrent of something much deeper there that we often miss when we talk to friends or when we talk to family. So in that sense as well, I feel like um, theater has that power to kind of you know, uh, keep you captive uh, as an audience and make you think about these very questions that you may not otherwise dwell on, even when you read a sensational headline or read a statistic. Um, because they are not things that stay with you, but then the characters of this play that have been written with so much nuance by Sukanya, I, uh, I'm sure will stay with you and, and also lead people to think uh, more deeply on this topic and perhaps act when they feel that someone around them or themselves uh, is, um, uh, is, is a victim to some of these uh, uh, abuses. Thank you. And I think just, uh, this is Malavika, having uh, read the script and also acted in the play, I also just want to add that it's so relevant, particularly in these COVID times, uh, because uh, I think domestic violence is just exacerbated, where everybody is kind of working from home, um, completely online all the time. So uh, that's another big reason to come and watch this play. So that brings us uh, to the end of this podcast. Uh, Sukanya, Shailaja and Deepti, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So No Makeup will be streamed over Zoom at 7pm Pacific Time on Saturday, October 10th and Sunday, October 11th. It is a free event, but you will need to register to receive the invite at www.cloudplayhouse.com slash contact. We will have a live panel discussion at the end of the performances. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you there.